Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Bryce Henson is the vice president of FitBody Bootcamp, the world's fastest growing fitness bootcamp franchise. Having over 10 plus years of experience in the fitness industry and owning three FitBody Bootcamp locations, his passion is spreading fitness to the world. In addition to mentoring fitness professionals on how to grow their businesses and change more lives in their local communities, Bryce also co-leads FitBody Bootcamp's Mastermind Group, an exclusive coaching group for high-performing fitness professionals. Bryce was born in Atlanta, Georgia, grew up in Michigan, and has spent most of his adult life in California. He's a graduate of Michigan State University, speaks Brazilian Portuguese fluently, having lived in Brazil, and he also enjoys world travel and is a fitness expert, coach, author, and inspirational leader. Bryce, I was going to try to pronounce that city in Brazil, and there's no chance. How do you say that one? <laughs> Florianopolis. Florianopolis. I can see it now. I was, I was like, I'll have to re-record the whole intro if I try to pronounce that. <laughs> How are you doing? Good to have you on the show. Likewise, Cameron. How are you doing, man? Really good. Nice to see you again. So you and I um, met a few years ago at a mastermind um, event, and then with um, the CEO of your or partner of your your business, um, Bedros. You've been how long have you been with Fitbody now? Well, on the franchise leadership team as a vice president, just over two years, uh, June of 2018 was when I came on board uh, in that capacity. And uh, but rewind the clock uh, when I first. Uh, was introduced and basically took the leap of faith within Fit Body Bootcamp was uh, m- mid 2012. So it's just been over eight years. I've been affiliated with the brand. And what was it that got you to go full time and to join the the kind of head office to be on the franchisor side? Uh, it was a combination of a few things, but uh, being in the rooms, uh, mastermind rooms, coaching rooms of our CEO and founder, Bedros Koulian, who, as you alluded to, a partner of mine, um, who's also a mentor and business coach, um, and you know, spending six years with him, basically taking action on his coaching, developing a relationship, having success, uh, being a multi-location owner. Um, it was a bit of um, you know, right, right place, right time uh, with my success and the relationship that we developed. Uh, he basically knew that the franchise was growing and he needed someone to help him on the leadership front be his right-hand guy. And uh, basically, he proactively reached out to me. And um, he always gives me a hard time because it wasn't an immediate yes. Um, You know, as all hard-charging type A entrepreneurs are, I had my head down and a plan in place. Um, But over a few months, we kind of dialogued and talked about the position. And uh, it just seemed to me after, you know, quite a few exchanges that I could make a bigger impact. I could help more people and have more, you know, significance and contribution, um, you know, at the, the franchise level. Awesome. I've got a question for you that's a little bit of a segue, but I'll come back into to the normal content. I've been asked a lot over the years if a franchisee is really an entrepreneur. And I think I know the direction you're going to go with this. What would you say on that one? I would say it's training wheels. Um, our, our founder has a different uh, viewpoint on it. Um, I would say that I'm not going to give you a direct answer because I think a franchisee has like entrepreneurial tendencies and wishes and wants and desires, but also still wants that support kind of paint by numbers done for you system. So I think there's somewhere in the gray zone there. 
Yeah, I, I think they're they're an entrepreneur in that you know they've started a company. They're responsible for other people's wages. They're not guaranteed anything, right? It's really a result of them following systems and building something and scaling. But yeah, the training wheels are there with the guidelines. But you can buy a franchise and be horribly unsuccessful, or be horribly successful, and it really comes down to your execution on the systems and and the people, right? Totally. Absolutely. It's be willing to be coachable. Also just having a passion, desire, um, you know, to execute and implement whatever, you know, business model that you're in against. And what I see now is, you know, especially pre COVID as the business, uh, as the fitness industry has really kind of taken off with the, the correlation of our, you know, world economy of the last decade, the last two or three years, a lot of people that were in the, were not in a fitness, but just saw the opportunity, the numbers kind of jumped in. And I would still say that, uh, in our specific industry, the people that typically do the best are ones that, you know, uh, have been, you know, have training experience in the past and, or just a love or a passion for it because they're, they're able to execute in your words, the systems and the guidelines much better. So you've been able to see both sides of the franchise system where you were a franchisee and owning three different locations, and then you moved off to be on the franchisor side. What do you think you've learned on the franchisor side that maybe you didn't know or didn't expect to see on the, when you were a franchisee? Great question. I mean, I still am both. Is it harder being a franchisee than you thought it might have been? It's harder being on the franchisor, actually, than I thought it would be. Um, but I still am a franchisee and I actually have a dual role, which is definitely an interesting dichotomy. Um, sometimes it's cer- certainly very challenging, but many times it actually provides a lot more visibility and growth and, and progress being that I see both sides. Um, when I first joined as a franchisee back in 2012, I mean, I had sales experience. I had a decade of, you know, over the phone sales, which gave me enough confidence to, you know, be able to, to take on this venture, but I didn't have any marketing experience. I didn't have any business operations experience. So when I was coming into the franchise, that's what I was looking for. And thankfully I found it and, you know, being able, I was able to shore up those weaknesses, uh, enabled me to, you know, be a stronger, you know, business owner and operator. How about being a franchisor? What do you think has made um, Fit Body Bootcamp a successful franchisor? And what do you think for others that are maybe thinking about franchising that they have to consider? Well, starting from the top down, our CEO and founder is an incredible expert marketer, uh, communicator, entrepreneur, and visionary. Uh, so I think foundationally, uh, he started Fit Body Bootcamp at the very grassroots level um, in 2008, 2009, right off the, the economic crash that you and I were talking offline. So, so to have a visionary kind of start in a very down market actually provided a lot of upward growth uh, because we were able to, able to gain market traction pretty quickly. Um, but we didn't end up franchising until 2012. Um, so it's a couple years later, we ran it as, as a licensee uh, program. But um, that all said, I think actually in dialoguing, I forgot the essence, the true essence of the question. Can you repeat that? I forget. Yeah, what, do, what do you think it is that a, a franchisor has to do to be successful as a franchisor? Like, are there a couple of rules that would make a franchisor more successful? And, and it, I don't think it can be that our product or our service is that unique. It's like, you don't have, need to come up with the coolest whatever. I think it's a combination. What I've seen to date is strong vision, be able to sell and market, you know, whatever concept and, and, you know, idea and business model that you have, but then also on the back end, very strong operations like paint by numbers, detail oriented. And I think in the last two years, we've really, as our brand has made, you know, has, has evolved and, and we're growing up, um, has made a pivot to really double down on the operations uh, and, and focus uh, because I think for a long period of time, we've had a 
explosive and exponential growth for the first, you know, six, seven years of us being a franchise or, um, but our operations and support and training kind of lag behind. And uh, now that we're kind of at a size where it kind of hit critical mass, we've realized we need to shore that up. So, you know, it's a, a kind of a dichotomy two part question. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those, I think both of them are foundational to, to being really successful if you're considering being a franchisor. Awesome. How many locations do you guys have now? Uh, we have just under 400 open and operating. So 400 open and operating locations of Fitbody. I know you've got one here in Vancouver. It's like about a mile from my home that I've been to. Um, with the 400, are you, how many states are you operating in? Uh, probably in the ballpark of 30. 30. So you're, so you're running a, a pretty complicated business in terms of the span of control and, and what you have to oversee and the brand and the systems how do you stay focused on what really matters and avoid getting stuck in the weeds, avoid getting stuck as the majoring in the minors? Uh, It's a loaded question, a very good question at that. And I think we've probably been guilty at, you know, kind of sometimes being stuck in the weed in the weeds or, you know, kind of going off a limb, taking the idea fairy. Um, But I think uh, hiring good coaches, Cameron, that's how we we first met in the mastermind group, but uh, certainly I've hired you for, for coaching. So good coaching that I've seen kind of what's ahead. Um, also, we've uh, adopted a system called uh, EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, uh, based off a book and a concept by a gentleman named Gino, Track, uh, Gino Wickman. Uh, the book is called Traction. So that's really helped us over the last 18 months, really kind of streamline, make sure that priorities are priorities and we're not kind of, you know, getting distracted off the, the not so important um, you know, projects. Well, I, and I know, I know Gino well. I think he would, would love the fact that you almost called him Gino Traction. I think he'd be thrilled with that. So, um, <laughs> the poem said, hi, shoot, man. I'm a big fan from Removed. He'd be like, I made it. We made it. Yeah, Gino is also a member of two different masterminds that I'm in. He was a member of the Genius Network for years. And he's also a part of Strategic Coach. So we used to see each other every, every few months. Um, yeah. so, so what's your role then as vice president? And how do you and Bedros divide up between kind of the CEO and the VP role? How, how do you, because he seems to be pretty good at letting you do your job and not kind of micromanaging you on a lot of it as well. Or is that a heavy um, assumption yeah. I just made? Uh, no, it's the assumption is actually very accurate. Um, he definitely is a leader, visionary. He's not a micromanager. Um, I also, you know, I guess I would like to to credit myself a little bit in the fact that he, you know, has probably established some trust and seen things in me that he felt uh, the need not to micromanage, which has been great. Um, but it's been an evolving role over the last, you know, 24 months or even more so since I've uh, taken the, sh- the the seat at the leadership table. Um, we've, we've gone through a major infrastructure as a brand. We updated our design, which we call 4.0. We've added a supplement line. We've changed technology. Um, we've just added a lot. So because of that, it's been a dynamic, you know, I'd say the role kind of changes every three to four months, just in shifting from focus. We are excited to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel as the infrastructure is being laid. Uh, COVID obviously threw a nice surprise and kind of extended that. But I think in the next six to 12 months, uh, infrastructure will fully be laid. Um, but this all to say, my specific role in the accountability chart by Gino Wickman, not Gino Traction, uh, is uh, the director of coaching and profitability. And actually, that's uh, a concept in a department that um, I came to Bedros uh, probably about six to nine months in the role, seeing the need for better coaching, better operational support. And my thought was, who better to be able to provide that you know, coaching and operational support to our franchisees than successful franchisees? Uh, so we were able to assemble a team of six of some of our most successful franchisees in the brand, and they are our coaches, uh, our coaches within the coaching, coaching and profitability team. 
And just an example of, you know, B having strong vision and also being, you know, trusting uh, some of the decisions and proposals that, that I've brought to the table. And it's worked out really well. So that is my focus. And there's another VP in the company who um, is a bit more of a hired gun. His name's Matt Wilbur, a good friend of mine, and he's out in Michigan. So he's the only leadership or he actually, uh, well, uh, person on the leadership team that's not here in Southern California at our main office. Um, and his specific role is to create the Fitbody way, which is the process, the systems uh, you know, of our brand, in addition to run and execute our world-renowned eight-week challenges. So him and I work collaboratively, uh, not only to be able to coach our owners on how to be more successful, but also to create the, the playbook because we are still, you know, kind of at the end of that infrastructure build, um, which we just released actually this past week. Um, so that's my role in terms of directing coach, coaching and profitability, working with our other VP to kind of crystallize the Fitbody way. And then now the next 12 to 24 months really implement and execute the Fitbody way, which is our kind of new system and operating system of, of how we do things. And is Matt, um, Matt owns locations as well, correct? He does. He's actually our most successful franchise owner by a few metrics. One, in terms of the number of locations, he has uh, nine in the state of Michigan and, uh, and also just in terms of financially, the, the, the highest revenue generating facilities in our, in our brand. So great, successful dude. Now, do you guys own, does the, the company own any corporate locations as well? Or is it just that, you know, the two, two VPs both own locations and you're able to oversee them that way? The latter. So yeah, um, yeah we don't own any corporate locations, uh, just the VPs. But you get a lot of insights. The company gets a lot of insights because two of the VPs own a lot of them. So it kind of serves the same intent that a corporate-owned location might serve, which is the you can practice stuff out. If if a new system comes out, your locations are using it for sure right away. Like you're you're operating at the best of what the manual has already got out there, correct? Absolutely. And we're creating the manual as we go as well. So it's kind of a dual role there, but you hit it spot on. And then also too, in the last 12 months, spinning up that coaching and the profitability team, there's uh, six other owners that also contribute. Now they're coaching owners. They're part of my cap team, as we call it, stands for coaching and profitability. Um, and they're able to, they have you know their own locations and they're also able to contribute as well. And the last point of contribution, and Cameron, credit you for this, uh, and our coaching was probably about 15, 18 months ago when you provided this recommendation, uh, was, was to create the Franchise Advisory Council, or the FAC. Uh, so we spun that up uh, under your guidance, and uh, we just completed our year one. We just actually last week had our meeting uh, to kick off this, uh, this coming year, and that's been really foundational and fundamental into our success, being able to kind of take that feedback uh, in addition to the, the locations Matt, myself, and our cap team have uh, to really kind of get a better understanding of our brand as a whole, and then obviously you know, work to support them better based off that feedback. Where have you struggled with that Franchise Advisory Council? What, what kind of lessons can you pass on? Because it operates, for anyone who doesn't understand franchising, a Franchise Advisory Council operates almost like a two-way funnel. It takes the ideas from the head office down to the franchisees, and it takes the ideas from the franchisees up to corporate without becoming kind of a union steward type model. But where have you guys struggled and learned and had to adapt as you put one in place? Because it's never easy. No, it wasn't easy in, in selecting the right people, trying to figure out the metrics in terms of receiving applications and then selecting the committee. And then I think um, we meet quarterly based off your guidance and that's worked out really well. But 
two of the meetings only are in person and then the other two are zoom and virtual which is obviously you know we're sitting here on a zoom virtually today as well but anytime you can kind of meet in person i feel like the the bigger breakthroughs are when we do like a full two-day event with our fac versus like a 90-minute call on on zoom uh, so i would say we still struggle with that a little bit but we're all fired up you know great energy just after last week as we you know fortunately were able to have the in-person meeting yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad we're starting to move towards some of that in-person stuff again, too. Tell me about, about what the, the normal everyday company can pull from a franchisor. Like, what is it that franchisors do well um, that a typical business can benefit from? Can you rephrase the question? I fully yeah, understand. so f- franchising has, I think all franchisors have a whole skill set area that most normal companies don't have. And it's one of them is that we have to replicate these systems that can be used, you know, the lowest common denominator. One is that we have, you know, the span of control that's something quite big with a PL that maybe isn't huge. Another is that we're quickly operating in, you know, multiple states or countries, um, whereas many companies don't. So I'm curious if there's any any business lessons there that, you know, the everyday entrepreneur or the everyday COO who's listening can can pull from a franchisor. Yeah, well, I think for us, because our, you know, our visionary, our CEO has been such a strong marketer and salesman, uh, our, our brand exploded pretty quickly. So that was our forte and it, and it still is until this day. So I think comparatively, we lagged in terms of the operations and, and support of that nature. But it's one of those things in, in terms of crash course, we've had to get good at specifically in the last 24 months because we've grown so quickly. Um, we needed to make sure that we had the systems, the trainings, the operations to make sure that our franchisees were successful. So in a crash course and basically, you know, creating an operations manual, training and executing on that, you know, any franchisor who has any amount of success is going to be really, really good at. And, you know, we're still learning and we've come a long way, uh, but that's been something that, uh, you know, I think, you know, anyone can learn from us or any successful franchisor. And then shoot Cameron, like the, I was humbled when I walked in um, to, to the, the, the franchisor leadership team just kind of getting my teeth around the, all the legalities of being a franchisor, you know, from the FDD to the FA and all the rules and regulations. So, you know, I think uh, what, what a, you know, a CEO or someone, you know, who's a leader outside the franchising system can learn from, um, you know, any franchisor is how to get good at operations, get good at training, get good at, you know, understand the legalities because, you know, the system is definitely regulated. You know, another comparison would be the financial industry. I'm sure it has a lot of regulations as well. Um, so, you know, anyone on the outside looking in can can gain a lot uh, from that, you know, crash course in education that a franchisor has. Mm. Most, thanks. Most franchisees tend to go through the same kind of evolution as as humans do. You know, kids, when we're born, we, you know, we're, we're year old, our moms feed us and they change our diaper and we think our parents are amazing and then we're two years old it's the terrible twos right it's no 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 and then as teenagers we're like our parents are assholes and we all just want to get out of the house and then we're 20 and we kind of break free and we move out and we're doing it on our own but we realize you know our parents aren't perfect but man they sure knew how to cook better food than I do and then we have kids for our first time we're like wow my parents were way smarter than I ever gave them credit for we kind of go through that normal evolution franchisees go through this evolution where at some point they hate the franchisor and they don't know why they're paying royalties. And how did you go through that um, where you're straddling both sides, where you're on the franchisor side and the franchisee side, how do you not get pissed off at the franchisor? It's inevitable. Like every teenager gets pissed off at their parents. How do you not get pissed off at the franchisor when you are the franchisor as well? 
Uh, shoot, Cameron. I mean, that's an incredible question. And I would say sometimes I do get pissed off at the franchisor, even though I am the franchisor. Uh, so it's kind of a double-edged sword there. But um, no, that is very, very true. And I forget the book that I read about 12 months ago in franchising, probably recommended by you, that went through that life cycle. And uh, when probably I read Greg, that- Greg Nathan was probably the author of it. I don't know what the book is, but the, the six stages of franchising maybe? That's it. Yep. So, so true. And uh, that is the stage, not only like anecdotally, but also seeing that from, you know, many, many partners and, you know, owners that we have. Um, and then I think additionally, um, you know, about 24 months ago, we again started the infrastructure change. So, um, you know, change is never easy and uh, people resist change, myself included, it's just kind of part of, you know, human nature. So when you add in the complexity of, you know, creating new infrastructure and updating your design and adding a new POS and new technology and adding this and adding that, um, it also causes complications. So that's been a big struggle, um, you know, that we've been through, but um, it is part of the process. And, uh, you know, we feel very blessed to have, you know, franchisees and especially, you know, this COVID situation as horrific as it's been uh, for many businesses across the country and world and, and our, ourselves included, because the challenge is still there. It allowed our leadership team to really step up and we've really came to the table, you know, even you know, greater in the last six months. Um, you know, than even we've had previously. And because of that, I feel that really expedited the, the, the additional journey around the horn, if you will, to that level of gratitude where, you know, to, in your words, like you come to the realization that your parents actually knew what they were talking about. So um, that's kind of, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, anecdotal experience on where we've came from and where we're at right now. That's funny. Years ago, I was coaching a, a very early stage franchise company at the time. They're now quite mature, a couple hundred locations all through the US and Canada called Nurse Next Door. And I remember when I came in to start coaching them and everyone on their team just thought I was amazing. Like, wow, this Cameron guy knows all this stuff. I'm like, wow, you shouldn't tell the people at 1-800-GOT-JUNK how smart I am because they still don't think so. Like, even though I've been there building the whole company, it's like, it's like listening to your uncle versus listening to your dad, right? Like my uncle's really smart, but my dad's an idiot. Meanwhile, your cousins think your dad's smart and their dad's an idiot. So it's the parent voice, Cameron. And actually, we just had a mastermind meeting this past week. And we talked about the parent voice that it's it just it's spot on, like that your parent can tell you something blue in your face. But when your uncle or someone else removed, says the same thing, a light bulb goes on, and you're just more open to it. So so true and funny at that. Yeah, it's crazy. So we, I think we just have to recognize that as a company, it's often one of the reasons why you bring in a consultant or facilitator for leadership team meetings or coaches, because they're, they provide that kind of uncle voice versus the parent voice, I guess. Um, question for you, when we were, were talking about a year and a half ago, you were going through some pretty big IT infrastructure changes, some back end changes on the company. And there was some, some problems with it. You guys were struggling with some of that. And it was stuff that I, I think you might've even kind of got it implemented and then rolled it back to the original system. Even can you walk us through some of what you learned as a company on that IT integration, kind of the, the real, wow, we really screwed this thing up or we got taken advantage of like, what, what are the lessons from that? Cause it was some pretty big stuff for you guys. It was hard for the franchisees and the franchisor. Oh, absolutely. And uh, for a long period of time, a solid 12 months, that was something that you talked about the roles that me and, and my CEO kind of, you know, attacked. Uh, that was an e ever-changing kind of evolution because of that unfortunate situation. 
Um, and that, there's actually two situations that, uh, from an IT perspective, that we rolled out. The one that we we brought back was um, we were putting out. And I'm not going to name names, but a software well-known in franchise that um, we thought was going to be able to support our franchisees from an operations perspective. Um, and we, we did the testing. We actually learned that was a second experience. Uh, but we learned from round one, which was a different platform that was going to be our POS and, and whatnot for our franchisees. And we went through a testing protocol and after about 60 days, we just realized that, you know, this, unfortunately, this system wasn't going to be conducive to our brand. Uh, so even though it was a bit of a bummer that that, you know, happened in the way that it did, we were able to do testing and kind of get feedback. And then we just made the decision it wasn't best. So that was actually a win. Um, the first situation was just really, really challenging. We, we changed our uh, infrastructure and our, our software, our POS system for you know our brand and um it, it was rocky to say the least um i think the big learning lessons is we were super ambitious uh we had a timeline in place we knew we wanted to run a big eight-week challenge which are now what we're, we're known for um, but we tried to do too much too soon we didn't go through the proper channels we didn't get the feedback and then when we started making conversions um, we did it in such a, a very, very short timeline. And, you know, as you know, being in franchise and franchising, not every franchisee is in the same place. Some are executing it all, all in you know, all cylinders. And then you have others that are just kind of barely keeping up just to kind of keep the doors open. And when we pushed out the new technology in that such a strict timeline without the proper vetting and feedback, um, you know, the, the top 25% took it in stride, they executed, um, but there was a large amount of percentage um, that just really, really had a tough time. It was too much too, too soon. So we've since then, and I, I led with the, the, the initial example, but we've since then rolled out a couple other initiatives um, way uh, much more smoothly. Um, just because of what we learned there, we basically did the due diligence. We started talking about it. We got feedback. We created a testing group. And then whenever we made that transition, we gave proper time. Um, and that that's actually been a game changer, a learning lesson that we will take with us moving forward. About managing the communication of all that, where you were working with the franchisees that were, you know, frustrated and disgruntled. And what, what did you guys learn on the communication side? Because I think you handled it quite well. Um, proactive communication is everything. Um, also getting feedback, laying things out prior, uh, creating an FAC to be able to run, you know, ideas off of um, is just super, super critical versus taking the approach of a few small people make a decision, you know, hit the ground running hard, communicate, this is the timeline, this is the deadline, go. Uh, that didn't work out well whatsoever. So, um, just, you know, again, commu you know, proactive communication, um, creating a test group, um, you know, communicating with them often, giving them time uh, to really kind of dive in and really understand uh, the initiative that, you know, and the platform that you lay out uh, and then checking in with them. And then once you check in with them, then kind of, you know, get them in, the, in your ethers to basically develop uh, not only a communication plan, but an execution plan around it. So those are all key things that we learn in the process. And um, as our CEO, uh, Bedros always says, uh, you know, if you're going to over or under communicate, which there's nothing perfect in life, you always want to err on the side of over communication, which will save you a lot of heartache. That's cool. You, you mentioned earlier that your CEO, Bedros, has got a lot of um, marketing skills. I think that's I, I, even the way you said it was stronger than the way I did. But even when you said it was a massive understatement, the guy's like, you know, right up there, genius level in marketing, digital marketing, for sure. He is. Can you, can you give us a couple of the secrets, like what, what works that, you know, other companies can use? Is there, you know, everyone's looking for that silver bullet, but have you, are there a couple of things that you guys have done that are just like, God, everybody should do this and most don't? 
super basic and it's interesting like rubbing shoulders with them now kind of seeing the what's under the hood um is it, know, it's kind of like the wizard of oz right you pull it back and you're like oh it's bedros except the guy's oh. huge he's not like the, the little wizard dude's a dwarf right bedros <laughs> is just this big giant but big massive muscular dude for sure um what i'm going to tell you isn't like revelation or it's not going to you know uh, fry your neurons in your brain it's just the basics number one consistency is everything uh we produce and he produces consistent contact over and over again uh very very consistently on many different platforms um, and then two, he's an educator. And what I've really, really learned, you know, from him is a great marketer is a great educator who's always putting content out, adding value, adding value, adding value, and then asking for money, adding value, adding value, adding value, then asking for money. And uh, I think from, you know, uh, from Bedros's perspective, he does that incredibly well. And then kind of hitting that one more time, consistency is key. Um, and between those two strategies, um, I've seen him build empires and move mountains. So you know, any franchisor looking to become a better marketer, well, you know what? You need to become a better educator. You need to add more value, teach more, and then do it consistently. And that's half the battle right there. Now, there's no way that you and he have been able to work this full two-year period without having a good debate um, because you've got good ideas, strong ideas. And also, sometimes you and I were even talking and you're like, well, I'm going to have to go talk to Bedros and see what... And, and Bedros is definitely a, a very high D, high I, dominant, you know, expressive entrepreneurial leader who's definitely got his ideas and his experience. How do you, how do you engage in good, healthy conflict? Just proactive communication, easier said than done. Um, but definitely, you know, we're both works in process, uh, progress, and I've learned a ton from him over the years and I've gotten better myself. Uh, just basically handling issues head on. Uh, for the most part, we work really well together. He's an easygoing guy. I wouldn't say, well, let me rephrase that. He's a hard charging type A driven guy, uh, but he has a very kind of uh, put together personality. He'll be the first one to tell you this. He's done a lot of work on himself, uh, gotten a lot of therapy, a lot of coaching to be a better version of him, uh, not working off the ego, taking deep breaths and being able to communicate really well. Uh, so I credit him and certainly I felt followed in his footsteps. But, uh, you know, times do uh, happen quick and frustration, you know, happens. And, you know, there's been definitely a few situations where we butted heads, but that's just you know, the nature of the beast. Um, but we both know our hearts in the right place. Uh, and we pick up and dust off and, and keep charging at it. Do you ever engage in that kind of conflict and debate in front of employees or do you try to keep it away from them? In our leadership team, there's just been a couple situations that have been private and, and all things considered, I feel super blessed because I've been working with them hand in hand and arm in arm for the last you know, over two years now. And there's only really been a handful of, of situations like that. And, and half of them in private, half of them just been a tense, you know, leadership meeting and not specifically even directed him or I just in, in the group in general. Um, but I would say no, in terms of other teammates and other employees outside our leadership team, uh, no, that situation, you know, has never presented itself. In all things considered, I mean, it's definitely not often. Yeah, I think the key is as well is that we're supposed to have that good, healthy debate, but we're not supposed to do it in front of the kids, right? Like it's like mom and dad are supposed to argue and debate and work through stuff. And then in front of the kids supposed to be that divided force. You don't really want to let them see you crack, but you also don't want to criticize each other in front of others because it diminishes your role that you're both in, right? His, he has to be your biggest cheerleader and you have to be his biggest cheerleader. Totally. And I, I feel we are. And I learned a lot from him in that capacity. And um, you know, I like to think that, you know, he's picked up some things for me as well. 
Um, but for the most part, I mean, yeah, we, we knock it out, we go to war. Uh, and again, you know, sometimes that the baits get heated and it's not just him and I, it's, it's our leadership team in general. We have a staff team of seven individuals who are absolutely, you know, incredible, but you know, what we say, it's kind of like putting armor on, you know, like when we walk into battle, we close the doors and we're hammering things out. Uh, you know, we're, we're intense. Uh, but then once, you know, the, the meeting, the L10 meeting is done, uh, we leave that room and we're united front. And that's really, you know, the messaging that needs to happen to make sure that we are united front and we get buy-in not only from our team, but being in the franchising world to our hundreds of locations that are counting on us and looking up to us for our leadership. For sure. How, how was it launching that, um, the supplement and product line that you guys launched? Yeah, we launched it 18 months ago, uh, which I can't even believe. Uh, just maybe a few months shy of that, maybe 16 months, if you will. Um, we launched it and had traction, but it definitely was very challenging. We overestimated the amount of product line when we first started. I think we had like you know 10 SKUs, all sorts of products. And we realized within a short period of time, within a six months, we had two or three main, main sellers. Uh, so we just doubled down on that. And once we doubled down on that, the following 12 months has been really, really good with a huge uptick. Um, also the supplement line, you know, is, is shown to be recession proof or at least like online marketing perspective has been really lucrative and valuable to us, especially at such a difficult time with COVID. Um, so we've kind of gotten through that, you know, initial baby ish, if, if you will, in terms of stage. Um, you know, in our development, our business. And now the last few months, we're you know, adding different products and kind of testing things out. Um, but I would say if we could do it over again, we wouldn't have started kind of so large. We really kind of came out with a few signature products, really doubled down on that, which we ended up doing, but it took us a handful of months and some pain in the process. Interesting. Um, all right. Yeah. Was it too much too soon? Or was it just that it was a learning and bigger, I guess, the bigger initiative than you anticipated it was going to be? Probably both. Yeah. And you got to try it. You got to take a swing at it anyway. So you never really know. Totally. Now, as you guys have been scaling the organization, you've had to grow in terms of your skill set as a leader. Um, and where have you grown? What have you focused on in terms of your skill set and your your growth? Oh, that's an incredible question. Um, time under tension, and certainly that's a fitness analogy. But we are, you know, our our brand is in, in the fitness uh, business. Um, so it's just a matter of putting in the reps and getting beat up, and you know, having to go through a lot of the pain of, you know, trial and error and communication around a, you know, an IT initiative that didn't pan out the way you think it did. So having really tough conversations, getting really tough feedback, just kind of you know, um, you know, going through those reps and taking the punches really increases your resilience and, you know, kind of you develop some battle scars and you get better for it. So that's just in, in, in terms of just business, um, you know, general skills overall. And then I think uh, because uh, of, of the communication aspect, as you mentioned, uh, writing, writing copy, communicating positional copy, and then also, you know, getting good, or I say good, the caveat, but getting better, I should say, on video um, is super important, especially we live in that day and age. And uh, I, I look back and even in the last two years, um, I'm exponentially better at video just because I have to get on and really communicate with our franchisees weekly or shoot video content. Um, so those have been some you know key key things that I've developed just because of time under tension, and then just the ability ability to work with people to get feedback um, to have a bigger operation than my you know small handful of teammates at each of my locations, which you know I, I learned a lot in those trenches as well. Um, but all these things really compile in terms of the skill set to be a better leader. And shoot, the last thing you know, I just read a book called Ego is the Enemy, and that's so true. So sometimes you know taking a, a few punches to the face and having some humble pie served to you. 
uh, will really help and actually, you know, develop you into a better person. I think character really is the, the biggest thing that I need to continue to work on. Uh, and the last thing, and I believe we should, we've talked about this, if not, it'll be a surprise to you, but uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, you know, part of my recovery has entailed, uh, you know, uh, required me to be a better human being to, you know, show up and do the steps and, and really what, what the steps are, um, you know, the program that I follow is, you know, a step of personal growth and personal development. And the, the more you can increase your, your personal growth and your character um, as a person, the better leader and more equipped that you are and can be to, to run a, a big business like this. I'll tell you, it's huge, huge kudos for you, by the way, in, in kind of owning the fact that you're an alcoholic and then going through recovery and what you're going through. And how long have you been in recovery? Um, three and a half years. Dude, like if I was to describe you, I would say this is a like God squad guy who's never had a drink and he's only ever been involved in fitness his whole life. He probably like if he drinks orange juice, he's mad at himself because it wasn't water. Like I would have <laughs> never, ever seen you as somebody who had alcohol in their life as a problem or even as like, yeah, so I don't know what the heck you did in three and a half years, but you seem to me to be this role model guy, um, athletic, nice person. So just huge props to you. Oh, well, thank you, Cameron. Um, shoot, you know, I, I would say there's a bit of truth in the orange juice analogy, but, but aside from that, uh, shoot, you know, we, we all have our cross to bear and uh, I'm a work in progress and I'm far from there by, by, by you know, any, any stretch of the imagination. So I want to be clear on that, but it's just about suiting up and showing up and getting better each day. And that's the commitment I've made to myself. So a long way to go, but, you know, thankful to be on the right path. Well done for you guys. Um, in terms of your franchisees, you're working with franchisees right now, and they're clearly going through a tough time. I mean, you, you guys franchise location-based group fitness classes. I mean, holy moly, it's like it's it's like got to be one of the, the harder groups or businesses to be able to reopen right now. So how are you working with the franchisees? How are you dealing with them and the emotions they've got? And what have you got for us there that we can learn from? Oh, shoot. Well, I, you know, it has been very, very challenging to take, you know, uh, hundreds of brick and mortar, you know, businesses. And uh, when, you know, local state governors and, and uh, government says you can no longer run and operate your business, um, it's certainly been a challenge. So creativity, ingenuity, we we're able to flip to online and virtual immediately. So if, of course, you know, now we're six months from the time COVID, you know, first, uh, first launched at the time of this recording, um, you know, most uh, companies in the brick and mortar space, have done something similar, but we were able to use our creativity and ingenuity right off the bat. Uh, but to your point, I mean, proactive communication, we started meeting as a leadership team during when, when COVID shut us down in mid-March of this past year, which is 2020 in this recording. Um, we started meeting as a leadership team uh, from one time a week on Tuesdays, which is our weekly L10 uh, meeting to two times a week, Monday morning, Monday evening, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening. Uh, we started going broadcasting three times live, uh, hosting weekly uh, trainings and uh, just to kind of provide a lot of visibility because just a, such a stressful time, people were so scared and nervous and concerned and just a million questions. Additionally, we had to get good at like on the back end, something we talked about the legalities, right? So we had our you know operations team 
between figuring out legalities of franchising, legalities of each individual uh, you know, state and territory and providence, uh, which has been super challenging, but just good, strong communication, uh, you know, being creative minded. And thankfully, we, you know, we have a leadership team who are just seasoned veterans. So even when all held, uh, held, held the break loose, um, there was a, a kind of a cool, calm and collected uh, aura about us. So I think that's really, really important in leadership is, you know, taking the emotion aside and kind of, you know, being cool, calm and collected. So that way you can make decisions from a rational perspective. There was also a lot of humor that was going on during the craziness. And that was probably just a way for us to cut the tension. Truth be told, we never had a conversation afterwards, but you know, that was the reality of the situation. So if you can laugh at things, if you can, you know, take it for what it is. And then if you can kind of remove yourself and look at it from a 30,000 foot view perspective um, is thankfully what we did. And uh, you know, certainly any adversity or challenge for anyone listening to is, is a great approach to take. That's interesting. Can you walk us through just a, a final question and then I just want to do a wrap, but um, when you're getting a group of people to buy a franchise and, and they're buying into, you know, the dream and the vision of what you're doing, any, not tricks, it's the wrong word, but what is it that you've sold 400 franchises? I mean, what is it that's made you successful as a franchisor? Because most franchisors never get to their seventh unit. What do you think has made it successful or that had people wanting to buy the locations? Um, again, I'm going to kind of credit our CEO for being an incredible marketer. And I think back to the storytelling, um, we were able to position when I say we at the time, I mean, Bedros, but certainly obviously now being part of the brand and been part of the brand from, you know, nearly day one as a franchisee, but positioning, um, you know, case studies and, and storytelling and being a master storyteller and, and really positioning our franchisees as the hero and hero marketing. And this is a concept that I've heard you speak about and learned a lot from you as well. Um, that's been, you know, that has been and will continue to be game changing for us. Um, so that would probably be the first thing off the top of my head and why a early time frame and even to this day, we have been successful by, you know, being good storytellers, being good marketers and positioning our franchisees as the heroes of the story. Well, I love that. I especially like making the franchisees the hero when we talk to the press, because anytime the media covers your franchisees, it helps make the franchisee more successful. It makes the franchisor look good and helps you sell more franchises too. It's a huge triple whammy. Um, all right. Final question, Bryce, if you were to go back to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give yourself at 21 that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known at 21? take more chances. Life is short. Um, you know, and in granted, there's a difference between being reckless and then being calculated. Um, but I would say, uh, there's a famous quote, I think from Mark Twain about, you know, um, the only regret you're going to have is the chances that you didn't take. And, and I would say, you know, when I look back, I've, I've made some good moves, uh, as you read from my bio, you know, I, I got moved from Georgia to Michigan at a young age because of a really traumatic situation with my parents, my mom escaped, you know, my father's grasp. Um, lived there for a decade and had this kind of, you know, desire, this burning desire to kind of, you know, make something of myself and took an opportunity in Los Angeles, California, the summer before I graduated school that parlayed into an, an incredible career on the West Coast and moving to Brazil, um, learning a different language, living in another hemisphere, coming back, you know, starting businesses. So long story short, taking massive risk and, and chances, even when I look back and, and certainly, you know, there's a lot more people more credentialed than me, but with what little success that I've had, um, you know, I look back and I say, shoot, I could have probably, you know, even doubled down a bit more. So that's a thought that continues to run through my mind is, you know, take calculated risk, but play big, take chances. You only got one spin on this globe. And that's really what it comes down to. That's awesome. Bryce, I really appreciate you sharing with us today. Um, appreciate the insights, the time, 
Bryce Henson, the Vice President from FitBody Bootcamp. Thanks for being with us on the Second in Command podcast. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.